The Athletic. Business as usual as Porsche wins Formula E season opener. The way Amy rolls back the years with Envision Podium. Cassidy takes first blood in Kiwi Jack fight. Launch control controversy or red herring. It is a boring race cause for concern. Plus, we hear from Mahindra team principal Fed Bretrand. Yes, we're back. The Formula E season, season 10, is with us. And here we are with the race Formula E podcast. And fresh back from altitude sickness and um, probably trying to keep himself awake with some mezcal during the race. It's our Formula E correspondent, Sam Smith. Sam, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, no mezcal for me this year, which is a rarity. But uh, yeah, it was it was quite good. We had, we had an erupting volcano at one stage, so you know only in Formula E do we get these uh, these incidents. But it was uh, yeah a bit of an eye opener that one. But yeah, generally a good start to the season. Uh, off track, lots going on, but on track as we saw, not not a lot going on. But uh, we'll we'll pick the bones out of what what did occur this uh, last weekend. Well, first up, to uh, give you some credit where credit's due, in our pre-season pod, you said that Porsche were going to win the opener, and um, there were four cars which could have done it, but only one was anywhere close, and actually Pascal Wehrlein made light work of it, didn't he? It was an easy win. Yeah, I mean, the big difference for Porsche, certainly on Wehrlein's side of the garage last weekend, was the qualifying pace, was the one-lap pace, which was much better than... Last season, I mean, his, his previous best in a Gen 3 car at all was third in Jakarta. Couldn't believe that stat, actually. But it's really? his first yeah. pole and his first front row. So wow. he qualified an average of ninth last season, which clearly was was a big part of why the second phase of the season, he sort of fell away from the championship fight. So, yeah, 2024 started out super well, similar to 2022 when he won, of course... Um, Porsche's first race in Mexico City so very hard to beat a Porsche at, at uh, the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez they they have an affinity with it they know how to get that car and their team dialed into that that place and it worked super well um Verline had a new engineer um in Mexico City Fabrice Roussel took over from Carl Wilson Clark which um just shows actually just how well drilled the the Porsche team is that, that Fabrice can can plug in there after a season seconded to Andretti. So well done to all that side of the the garage. I, it, it, he was he was pretty peerless. It didn't feel at any stage during qualifying of the race that um, it was going to be any other outcome. Um, he hammered it hammered in a succession of quick laps when he had to after the safety car got a gap to Sebastian Buemi and got the attack modes out early and it was I mean it wasn't a complete cakewalk because he had to get that gap but um, it wasn't as if he was put under a whole lot of pressure in uh, during that race at all so um, yeah one of the more simple victories for, for Pascal Verlaine so well done to them. I guess the only sort of cloud that hung over it was this um, sort of technical potential technical infringement uh, that was that was going to be looked at. What was that all about? Because it was it was quite hard to uh, get your head around it if you were just a layman um, watching it on TNT Sports. Yeah, I mean, initially that the presumption was that it was that it was actually tire pressures, but it soon became clear that it was something more um, intricate. Let's say it, what what it turned out to be was that. There was a question mark over their primary throttle map, which is a homologated um, system that they have 
with the FIA. So they they have to have a homologated pattern to their essentially their acceleration. Um, and when there's a spike in it, the FIA can see that through their um, through the, through their infrastructure that they have back in the back in the FIA garage, and, and that obviously raised suspicion of something at the start. Right. So what's this launch or launch control then? That was that what well, they were uh, suspecting, uh, offic- or fearing. Of- officially, nothing has been said other than it was to do with the primary throttle map. But but everyone I've spoke to says that it was to do with the launch off the grid. Now, if you go back and you look at their starts, um, both Verline and Jake Dennis got colossally good starts. Now, that might just be the the, the great reactions of the of the drivers and a, and a nice start. But certainly, it did raise some suspicion. It was investigated, and the result remained. Pretty provisional until four hours after the race so whatever investigation was going on was was pretty detailed and, and forensic what what i'm told was that there was an fia official um a senior one actually who's just started thomas chevouche who moved over from stellantis motorsport to join his former boss at ds uh, xavier mestalan pinon um and marek navarecki actually who are all old citroen uh citroen and old psa um, colleagues right. together so um, yeah he joined for Mexico City and was I think leading the investigation into the um, a- alleged um, suspicion of something um, but but it was nothing was actually um, proven so it was dismissed and no further action was taken and Verline's Verline's um, win stood. Now, if you look at what Formula E, the history of Formula E and how they have managed it, so the first thing, the obvious thing to say is that traction control is not allowed in the championship. But certainly in Gen 2, it was almost an open secret that that some teams, or pretty much all of the teams, were using, let's call them ersatz, um, ersatz systems on the car. Vectoring, wouldn't they, or something like that. Yeah, sort of, I mean, it's, yeah. it's really hard to uh, police, or it certainly was then, from that time, the FIA have invested in um, a, a range of devices and, and systems to try and um, eradicate the, the possibility of, of mimicking traction control, and that has taken the effect of um, of some torque sensors um, and these primary throttle maps that they they use, um, so that they can see in great detail how the cars um, are accelerating and managing their their power um now within these perimeters obviously what happened last saturday in mexico um something happened otherwise they wouldn't have um, bothered investigating it interestingly norman nato so all the porsches were um were reported norman nato's was dismissed within the race um which i kind of struggled to to understand why his was dismissed immediately but mm. then Dennis and Verlines went on after the race for for 4 hours but you know we we have to go with the decision um we have to state that um there is no offence to to speak of here but certainly it was a very interesting point and speaking to some of the rival team managers and team principals after the race I sort of did a bit of a paddock sweep to get their opinion of it the strong suspicion was that that there was something amiss and there was something not quite right um so so I expect this to, to sort of rumble on to the rear, actually, and for the other teams to to try and get some clarity over this decision and these methods about this incident. But uh, like I say, um, officially, uh, Pascal Verlaine is the winner of that race, and there was no um, there was no infringement, uh, technical or otherwise, made by Porsche. Yeah, it'd be fascinating to see what happens in Deria, both in terms of how those 
cars get off the line, um, but also whether they trigger the same sort of um, sensor reaction or, or whatnot, because, you know, was it two weeks? Um, okay, you could reprogram the software in that time, but it's very little time to do much. So I guess we'll have an answer then, because if there is something there, then you know the other teams will all protest, won't they? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a great deal going on. There's a lot of politics involved in, in Formula E at the best of times, but I can sense a bit, a bit of a fervour uh, mounting. Uh, Porsche and the FIA do have a bit of history um, from London last year. Remember Antonio Felix da Costa's uh, penalty where he, he got a, a, a tyre cut and the tyre pressure went under the minimum pressure, so he got penalised, which Porsche found extremely unfair and unsatisfactory and they took it all the way to the yeah the, well they, they took it all the way to the international court of appeal didn't they and as is always the case it gets it gets thrown out but i i just sense that there is um yeah that i i sense that it isn't an easy relationship uh between porsche and the fia um with that case study and and, and potentially with what happened in Mexico last weekend, but let's let's wait and see. It may all be forgotten, and it may may just be a um, it may have just been a an irregular spike that that needed to be addressed and explained. And obviously, to some it well to to the extent of it not being a, um, a sanctionable penalty, then that is the case. The Verline is the winner, and um, I'm sure from Porsche's perspective, it's drawn a line under under that race, and um, and they move on to Saudi. So putting that aside. Um Fairline, like I say, did everything he needed to do, built up the gaps when he needed to. I think the team executed their race strategy with the attack mode pretty much, you know, spot on. What happened to the other three Porsche-powered cars? I mean, they were effectively nowhere. It was a bit of um, copy and paste from last season in terms of Antonio Felix da Costa. I, I did a sort of wide-ranging interview with him the week before Mexico City, and it felt like the resurgence or the, the renaissance was coming. Well, you tipped him for the championship. I, and, uh, and I, and I, and I uh, banged that nail into his coffin for 2024 <laughs> as well, so <laughs> sorry for, for that. No, he, he had a difficult weekend. Again, qualifying didn't work out for him. He qualified, I think, down in uh, 16th which is uh, a poor starting position, and especially at Mexico City, which is extremely difficult to overtake. The um, the, the chances well, especially were... Especially if you're going to pull off a move like he did. I mean, even, well, even being charitably, that was optimistic. I, I think that was part of the problem. He needed to make up positions, and he, he took one gamble um, too many um, with Nico Muller. He, he, he explained to me afterwards that he had tried a, a move the lap before and it hadn't come off. So he'd, he, he he presumed that Nico, you know, would relent and, and didn't. So with it being essentially a flat out race, you're under no obligation to let people pass and think about it later. You know, you have to. It's a bit like a tr- traditional single seater race. You have to really fight for your positions in Mexico, and uh, unfortunately, Nico defended stoutly, and um, and both of them suffered i think ultimately uh, you have to say that the stewards got it right that antonio was just a little bit too optimistic and, and he got a three place grid penalty for derrere on that so compounded his wounds really and um i mean yeah. I, oh, to be honest with you i would prefer it if we weren't dishing out penalties willy-nilly like that but if they're going to then that deserved one yeah it ruined muller's race he did recover but uh, it wasn't quite the same for him after that from a handling perspective so yeah it's fair enough i think antonio afterwards was you know he was pretty sanguine about it i think down deep down he he realized that ultimately he caused the accident although 
yeah, yeah, it always takes two to tango in a sense, doesn't it? But I, I think in the the general consensus was that, that Antonio just made a bit too much of a desperate move and it didn't come off, which was a shame. So Andretti, I mean, they they, they really surprised me actually because they, they won at a relative canter with Jake Dennis last season and uh, was expecting, I think everybody, including them, were expecting a bit more. So it was, it was a bit of a, a bit of a, disaster for them in terms of what they should have had um in mexico city they they ultimately sort of um tied themselves in a bit of a knot they went with a uh, what i'm told what jake dennis told me is they went for a, a software change on the car for free practice and qualifying and it, it didn't really pay off at all and they then reverted to the race to, to a different different setup i mean jake made a, a small error at turn nine in qualifying um which meant that he was midfield, uh, midfield start, good early progress. He was up to the periphery of the top 10. And then he just plateaued because of the, the difficulties, which we'll come on to shortly, about how difficult it is to, to get past at Mexico City. So you can have all the pace in the world and, and, and all the, the hooked up uh, speed in the world, but you're not going anywhere in uh, at that track. And that that's what happened to Dennis, so very... Very uh, frustrating for him. I mean, the one, I think, speaking to Roger Griffiths afterwards, the one big positive from his perspective was that they finally are a two-car team in terms of fighting for points because Norman mm. Natto finished just behind Jake Dennis and, uh, and, and nicked a point in 10th place. So, yeah, a bit, of, a bit of light at the end of the tunnel for them, but they'll be hoping that they can uh, get back to their their strong 2023 form via via Dennis and, and his new teammate for, for Durier in a week's time. I mean, there's absolutely no need to panic. I mean, I remember this time last season, we were watching Verline build up what looked like it could be an insurmountable lead and it, informally things can change so quickly. But uh, yeah, it's just... Um, you don't want to you don't want to throw points away do you and I, I think you're right that they'll want to bounce back uh, in Saudi and uh, yeah produce something a little bit more respectable than that if, if you have a bad day at the office and you get two cars in the points albeit you know at the, the other end of the the big points then you're doing all right aren't you so I think uh, I think they'll come back quite strongly that they realize that they they sort of uh, made a rod for their own backs in, in some of the things that they chose last weekend and it didn't quite happen for them. So, yeah, they're, they're, I think they're going to be back. They were really strong, or Dennis was really strong in, in Saudi last season. So uh, I don't think there's anybody's panicking just yet. Um, another thing that we talked about in the pre-season one was how strong Envision would be this season. And, you know, the general feeling was among all of us that they probably wouldn't be quite as strong as they were the previous year. Yet Boemi um, completely... Uh, roll back the years as I said in the intro to put up a really strong run for second place and looked like the guy who'd been I'd be the quickest driver of the Gen 1 era again yeah he did and and to be fair to Seb he had a really strong season last season it was the re- results were masked really by things out of his control he should have been probably should have been fourth in the championship by rights and, and his performances Again, had a really strong start to the to the weekend. Um, got things going from an early stage. Got into the um, got into the final. Uh, just lost out to to Verline, but certainly he looked like the strongest Jaguar powered driver for the entirety of the meeting. Um, the safety car cost him a bit. 
I mean, that's not an excuse, and I don't think he would have been able to challenge Verlaine anyway. But obviously, he lost he lost what little gap that he had at that stage as well. He mentioned a mistake in the uh, in the media pen when I spoke to him afterwards, but he didn't elaborate on that, and I didn't see. I was going to ask about that if you had any more clarity about this. Yeah, it was mistake. it was hard to see. I, TV cameras didn't obviously pick it up, but no. presumed that he made a mistake and, and lost a bit of momentum to, to Verline after after Verline had got through during the um, the attack mode phase, the second one. So um, yeah, but really strong. I mean, there he was really pleased with the strategy. Um, he's working really well with his. He's got quite a young engineer, Connor Somerville, who's doing a, a fine job there. Their strategist, Harry Jones, was was really thanked by both Connor and, and Sebastian over the radio towards the end of the race. So, um, yeah, I, I think he was the the only driver who looked like maybe having a little claw at, at Verline, um, but just didn't have enough ultimately at the end of the day. But I think uh, going back to Verline, I think the big question now is, you know, can he... Can he maintain a whole season? That's the that's the whole question now, isn't it? I mean, it, he will probably end up having a similar strong start to the season as he did last last year, last campaign. But can he actually sustain it? And who's going to have the whip hand at Deir? Because Jaguar were, were were good last year in Saudi, but not quite on Porsche's level. But I think what they've learned through the first Gen Three campaign, I expect it to be really close between. Porsche and Jags at, at Saudi and I think we'll get a, a real wheel-to-wheel battle which we didn't necessarily get in Mexico uh, in the second division car making his sort of return to the team Robin Frines had probably a weekend that he won't be spending too long thinking back on uh, quite a st- strange looking crash was that just uh, a bit offline and a bit too much uh, of a heavy foot what was the or was there actually something technically wrong with the car no, there was a bit of suspicion from Robin initially that, that something might have gone awry with the car, but speaking to Sylvain Felipe after the race, um, yeah, he just got slightly offline, and it's it's super dusty on the exit of that as they come out of the Forasol complex, and, and Robin was making up for a really bad start as well, which I believe wasn't his fault. There was some kind of error in the way that he uh, got off the grid. Well, he definitely uh, didn't have launch control, did he? <laughs> no, he didn't. There was no point investigating that one, but he... Um, yeah, really bad start, which was a shame because he had the pace in, in free practice and, you know, wasn't quite there in, in qualifying uh, to the extent that Buemi was. But he, um, yeah, it was, it was I think, a combination of making up for that bad start, uh, pushing too hard. I think he got slightly blindsided by Edo Martara after he'd taken the uh, attack mode and yeah. um, got on the got on the dusty bit and, and was straight in the wall. I mean, when he when the team radio threw to him and said, "Are you all right?" He initially said no, and I thought, "Oh my god, not again! Not after last season. He's not yeah. going straight to the." And the irony was that is the surgeon who had done the operations on him. I spoke to Robin and uh, the day before, and he really nicely got him um, sort of VIP tickets to go and see the race, he and his wife. Wow. So I thought, oh my God. Well, you know, at least he's there. If he's done his hand in the galley, <laughs> at least he's at the, he's at the track. It's like he had had a couple of mezcals over at lunch as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, yeah, tough one, but, I, you know, Robin, Robin Franz is the kind of driver who, who bounces back pretty quickly. And I think yeah. ultimately he'll look back on it now and think, okay, you know, put it in the wall in a, um, when he's back in a competitive situation, but he's going to have several more of those chances this season. Whereas last season, that you know, there was absolutely no question he was going to be, he was going to be around the, the podium area. So I think from his frame of mind, he, he's in a much better place this season. 
Uh, Nick Cassidy with the final podium spot. Uh, it probably this most interesting into team battle on the grid i think we're, we're all you know this is going to be one of the brilliant subplots of the season uh how important is that for him you know to kick off in that way and what happened to mitch was there because he he seemed to be over consuming uh, in a way that sort of hinted that there might be an issue well it was a strong you're right it was a strong debut from cassidy big 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 cat debut i thought he did a did a great job uh it wasn't easy for him he was it was quite difficult for him in free practice. He had um, struggled with traction issues in, in sector three and was, was losing a lot of time there. They managed to get on top of that and uh, come back pretty strong and look good in qualifying. They they obviously had this, um, this situation where both Nick Cassidy and Mitch Evans lost a grid position. They got a one-place penalty for not going into their boxes in free practice after there'd been a, a red flag, um, which was a little bit contentious because the teams were told in free practice one to use the attack charge infrastructure. So I think there was a bit of a mix-up with that because they had to use it twice, I think, during the session. And right. it, it, it all felt a little bit harsh, to be honest, for a regulation that had just recently changed. But ultimately, you know, it's a, it's a black and white, uh, much like their car, it's a black and white hey. reg- regulation uh, <laughs> issue yeah. and, and they got docks that one place i don't think it had a massive impact on where they, they won't do it again though i bet well no what with the with the attack charge they they actually scrapped it for free practice two okay. there were some issues with it so they the teams were told not to not to bother using them for the second free practice session so um yeah, there's obviously a lot of question marks over that. And we, we do think now that it, the, the earliest it will be seen is Mizano, uh, as we suggested a couple of weeks ago. But uh, yeah, going back to the Jaguar guys, Cassidy got stronger and stronger during the weekend. And, and by the end of it, got that podium. Um, I think he'll feel a bit disappointed that he wasn't able to challenge Buemi in a, in a similar car. Uh, Mitch's issues stemmed, I think, from two things. I chatted to him afterwards. The first thing was... His rear tyres were overheating, um, which they tend to do through the Peraltada. And he was really suffering with um, overheating rear tyres, rear handcuffs. But he also mentioned a, a strange um, steering issue. The steering went really heavy, oh. which he, he couldn't he couldn't really explain specifically. But um, whether that was related to the, to the sort of vehicle dynamic changes on the car through the tyres or not, they'll be investigating that. But he, he said it, it was it was a super strange thing that he'd never had before. So you presume some issue um, maybe around the rack or something. Um, and it just hindered him and his, his pace just dropped off. I mean, he, he ultimately went into defensive mode um, against Jean-Eric Verne, who was harrying him for that fifth place. So, yeah, he had no pace at all and, and was was quite a big chunk from Cassidy at the end. So clear, clear issues for, for Mitch during that race. For the um, neutral observer on that, that's probably the the best way for that um, battle to start with Cassidy coming in and taking control or taking first blood in that rather than the Mitch getting it. Because I mean, I'm sure that the fight back will be swift. Um, you know, there's there's no way that. Uh, that this is this is going to be a one-sided battle, is it? No, and I, you know, just talking to both of them and, and speaking to the team, um, it, it's clear that they are very, very good friends and that they do work well together. Um, it was noticeable in the sort of first 10, 12 laps of that race that they were working together. They were essentially um, towing each other around um, for that phase of the race. Um, yeah, I, I mean, part of me 
the sort of the journalistic part of me wants to see a great scrap and a, and a fair one and see, you know, a tooth and nail thing going on. And possibly we will get that. But my feeling is that that won't come until much later in the season, because I think they are clued up enough to realise that they, in a sense, they kind of need each other. And Jaguar really want to get that team's title. And they really want to, obviously the drivers want to win the drivers championship. That, that goes without saying, but I think, for a third and a fifth place finish, when you've also got four Porsches that you're racing against, and only one of those Porsches is in the is ahead of you, I think it's quite a strong weekend for Jaguar. I think they'll be a bit they'll be a bit miffed that that, that Gunter was between them because yeah. I don't think anyone forecast that. Um, but you know that was ultimately because of this this strange issue with uh, Evans's steering. So yeah, I think it's a really strong start from Jaguar, and uh, yeah. I, I I don't I didn't see any hint of any any um any sort of animosity animosity that's the word I was looking for yeah. or any any kind of um coruscating presence in that garage quite the opposite actually it seems to be yeah. working working pretty well at the moment I I think right up until potentially the final round that'll all be fine we'll we'll come back to Gunter uh in a few minutes when we do the sort of rest of the point scorers but there was no escape in the fact that that was a very boring race. I mean, almost nothing happened. So why is that? Because we've, we've had cracking races there in the past. Is the, the, the attack mode just not strong enough? Um, was there some sort of headwind that we weren't aware of that was preventing them from doing it? But it seemed that you couldn't even get close enough to make a an overtake feasible, let alone pull it off. Well, ultimately, it's quite boring to watch. Those are the, those are my words. Those are the words of Jake Dennis. You know, when the reigning champion <laughs> tells you that after the race, then you know you got to listen. And, and he's exactly right. It, it was it was a bit of a it was a bit of a dud. Uh, and those are rare in Formula E. Yeah. And, and what what makes it all the worse is you've got forty thousand people there mm. um, expecting to be entertained, and it's the first race of the season, and there's no other motorsport on, and it was Formula E's time to shine. Open goal. And, and it didn't, and yeah, if you yeah, if you're calling it an open goal, then it was missed, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's two main reasons. The first one is the track itself. It's um, the configuration of it with a, a long, quick right hander, the Peraltada, as it should be known, not yes. the Nigel Mansell corner. No, with I think even Mansell de- would agree with that. Due deference to, to Nigel, but uh, yeah. it is the Peraltada, uh, albeit a shadow of its former self. It's still a challenge. And then you've got uh, quite a short straight followed by a, a tight, um, a tight right-hander, which is which is tight but actually quite quick. It's mm. not a ninety-degree traditional ninety-degree uh, street circuit kind of corner. Then you've got a, a hairpin and a uh, an artificial chicane on the back straight, which was installed there to have a braking area for the regen. And then you've got this Forest Soul complex, which is superb for the fans, this massive, expansive terrace. But it is extraordinarily Mickey Mouse with two left-handers and then a right feeding on and it's stop-start. And they've put the attack mode in there, which, you know, doesn't work anyway, as it used to. So you've got a lot of issues there. But the fundamental problem of why that race was particularly dull with very limited overtaking was probably 25% the track, but ultimately 75% because it was a flat out race yeah. and the usable energy 
which was um, which was given, which is the energy allowance, which is kilowatts per hour, was 38.5. Now, the FIA had reduced that from 41 kilowatts last season, but they had shortened the race by a lap, and I never got a satisfactory explanation as to why they'd shortened the race by a lap anyway. Um, so ultimately what happened is that, that there is no particular lifting and coasting and energy saving obviously they hit their energy targets with what they have but there was no overt um uh, saving of energy so getting clear opportunities for leapfrogging your rivals was 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 very difficult and then obviously it gets to a point pretty much halfway the race where you know it's going to be um if there's no uh, safety cars or or race um or, or yellow flags, full course yellows, then you you are going to have a flat out race, and that's exactly what happened. So, very difficult to make a move. I don't think anyone in the top, I think there was one move in the top five. I mean, I'm talking about non attack, non attack mode. mode. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't. Which who was that? Um, it would have been uh, Gunter Cass- on Evans. Or was it Cassidy on Gunter? I'd have to, Cassidy on Gunter. No, I think Cassidy it was Cassidy on Gunter. I'd, I'd, I'd have to check that, but there was very, very few. I mean, Jake Dennis yeah. made, I think, four positions or five positions from his We didn't see them, start. Though, did we? <laughs> um, no. And, uh, and apart from that, the, you know, there were the, the failed attempts we talked about with Muller and, and De Costa, and uh, that was about it. So not a lot to get excited about, and it became very clear with 10, 12 laps to go that the finishing order, that was the finishing order. There was yeah. there was going to be very little chance. So what do they do? You know, they have to look at the changes. Um, there must be changes because uh, on both of the things we talked about. Is there about, any logic in running formally on the full track there, or is that just too energy sapping and too long to make yeah. it? I, I think I think it's just just too long. Um, yeah. I mean, I think they use I think they use about sixty percent of the straight, Something so there's like still forty percent yeah. to go. What they can do is they can change the first corner. You know, that's a blank canvas. They can do yeah, tighten up. They can do whatever they want there. You know, could they get rid of that artificial chicane on the back straight? Possibly, but then that you know you then don't get a a braking area. But so what? I mean, you know, let them go for it and get get a bit more of a. Um, adjust the adjust the laps of the race and the, the kilowatt hours available. It's not it's not difficult. And the FIA has a, a simulation a group where they can do these studies. Uh, but certainly, every single driver that I spoke to after the race said the same thing: that it, you know, combination of the track and the usable energy, um, and it's relatively simple thing to to address. So, yeah, I think it's sort of a point you want to make to the occasional armchair observer. Um, I'm not gonna name any names but they you can work out who they are who would oh, just have a uh, a flat out race but it doesn't work like that does it actually flat out races are intrinsically more boring yes exactly in formula e, that's the case because at the end of the day you get you get so little overtaking you get so little chance for these drivers to overtake it is gen- genuinely track dependent so uh for instance this is very difficult for overtaking so is london um but then again you know we were both in portland and we saw how it's totally different it's like watching a different championship i mean completely different um and berlin was the same and uh to an extent jakarta was the same or jakarta's a bit more difficult because it's so dusty offline so i mean the one thing that i would say in defense is look you've got a championship with different circuits with different challenges is there a case for saying well the occasional race like this is is okay you know you can have a flat out race and you can have a hierarchy 
and the quickest packages. I mean, you're right, obviously, but you're wrong in an era of instant snap social media judgment where it's all about, you know, bang per minute and all of that. Uh, You know, everything's judged purely on exactly how it's made you feel in that second. Yeah. And as you prefaced it all with, there was nothing else going on in the world of motorsport. And actually, an incredibly... um, uh, engaging uh, slot eight o'clock on a Saturday night in the UK nine in Central Europe you know a nice afternoon slot uh, in the in the US you know but and you want to captivate that audience don't you you do um, and I'm not sure anyone would watch that and be trying to circle in their diary when the Saudi races are on well we we know no one watched it anyway because we've seen the TNT figures which I'm not going to repeat <laughs> but they are particularly hideous uh, but there you go. Yeah. I mean, that's something to work on, obviously, for, for Formula E. Um, I think we'll probably bring that up later in the year. We'll we'll, we'll give them a buy on round one and see if uh, if this is a, a one-off or yeah, something that becomes a yeah, little bit let's, more let's hope an so. ongoing thing. Let's hope yeah, so. But, you know, the fact that there were 40,000 people in the Forest Hall was a bit... Looked great. Yeah, looks great. But obviously, you know, if you... I don't know. I mean, I, I actually did go to the fan village for, for 20 minutes on the just before the race to have a look round. And uh, it's great. Have a churro. Great atmosphere. I didn't have one of those. No, I, <laughs> no, I, I don't need one of those, as you know. Um, but it was... 89% sugar, mate. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a great atmosphere. And it is a fantastic event. So you kind of feel... You know, is it? Do they actually? Does it actually matter that they have a great race? I don't know because everyone has such a good time anyway. So maybe actually, and I'm really, you know, on the defensive here for Formula E. Actually, if you were to have a dud race, maybe Mexico is the place to have it because everyone's having a great time and it's a big fiesta anyway, and a lot yeah. of families are there. So maybe you know the 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 died in the wolf fans are, are a minority here. But you know, I'm 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 doing my best to to talk it up there. But um, I think it is amazing how popular that race has become, and it and it looks brilliant seeing all those people in there. And I, I know from being there, they have they do. It's a proper um, fiesta, and it's an amazing atmosphere and all of that. And up until now, they've always been treated to good races. So let's just hope it's a blip and that the calculations on usable energy for Saudi. Do we know how they're going to split the races there? They're going to have a sort of long and short, I guess you don't find out until you get there. No, you don't find out until the, the couple of days before. But the, the assumption is that they will do that. They did do that last season. Um, and look... 12 months ago, we were saying pretty much the same. You know, Jake Dennis won by a country mile. Not a lot happened. Um, you know, if it wasn't for Degrassi being so stoical in that Mahindra, yeah. uh, it would have been just as just as dull as, as this year. And then we went to Derry and we had two great races. And then we had the, the you know, the, lun- the lunatic races in that followed in Berlin and Sao Paulo and, and Portland. So I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not particularly worried about it i think that um we'll get some excellent races pretty soon and and deer is obviously a great challenge and is much easier to overtake so we're going to get multiple overtakes and and multiple dices coming back in in saudi which is you know like i said only only 10 days away yeah i agree but i think it's we couldn't ignore it as a point you know it it was hard to watch that race and not get the uh the feeling that maybe a little nap might be coming up We mentioned uh, Gunter taking a, a probably a surprising fourth place. I think it's fair to say a really solid start to the season for that um, Maserati. Uh, Daruvula struggling on his debut, as I think we'd sort of suggested he might do uh, in the preseason preview. Yeah, I was I was really pleasantly surprised for for Maserati MSG. I thought they did a great job considering the 
tumult over the uh, the last sort of three four months or so. Lots of changes there. Lots of new faces in that team, and um, they did a great job. Max Gunter was superb. Uh, possibly deserved a podium for the way that he hung that uh, Maserati out. He fought back from that shunt, you don't forget, and free practice, he hit the wall at the Peraltada and uh, broke the suspension on that car. Um, They recovered superbly from that, and they they had really strong pace. Um, So, yeah, a a big surprise for me, and I probably owe them an apology for suggesting that they'd tank this season, but um, (laughs) I I, I still think... I have faith. (laughs) I still think they'll... I still think they won't have a stronger season as last season, but again, you know, I got proved wrong, and uh, happy to hold my hands up and and say well done Max Gunter and uh, and, and Maserati MSG nice performance and uh, a good way to start the season and Daruvala just did what he had to do and get a bit of experience and keep his nose uh, nose clean and out of trouble and, and he did that not spectacular performance but at least something to build on so yeah lots I think you know on the basis of that uh, they'll all be very positive heading to to Deer in a few days time over in the sister Stellantis team at DS Penske, um, Vern having the upper hand again, but bit of a, a bit of a nothingy um, result for them, just sort of slim pickings point wise. Yeah, I mean, if I think if there's one team that kind of um, got the results that they suggested they would, it's probably DS Penske. Not not spectacular, but solid, uh, reasonable job. Uh, Stoffel van Dorn looked much better in qualifying on one lap pace, which which will please him. But I think there's just a realization there that you know they can only do so much, and they can get top six, which they did in Mexico, and they can get double points finishes for the team. But it takes um, generally it will take the difficulties of others to get anything beyond that. Um, that's not to say it won't happen. I think they will get podiums this season. A, a win might be a bit of a stretch this campaign. But yeah, I mean, nothing spectacular, solid, good points. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think entirely what was forecast for them heading into the season. The only other point score we haven't mentioned, Jake Hughes, solid seventh. Um, not, not a bad start to the season or all told for Neon McLaren. Yeah, that's right. And a bit like Gunter, he fought back from a shunt in free practice one, although his was more uh, more damaging. It was a really strange accident. He sort of locked up going into turn one and then looked like he was going to back out and go down the escape road and, and then didn't and, and hit the wall. It was a, a, a really small shunt, but with really serious um, implications because I've seen some pictures actually of the car and it's one of those things where you go, that that can't be the chassis that's been in the accident because really? he probably he probably hit the wall at like 20 miles an hour. Yeah. But unfortunately, it looks like the, uh, the wheel or the wishbone has come through and taken a big chunk out of the tub. Really? I mean, it looks like a really big smash, but it's it just, I think... Yeah, unfortunate the angle got it. Um, I, I don't because you know they've got the front powertrain kit now in the in the just at the front of the tub. Yeah, and I often wonder if that sort of exacerbates the, the accident damage. Yeah, it's I got mean, a bit that I, weight I, there to take it, keep it potentially. But I think yeah. on this occasion it was genuinely it was genuinely the suspension that caused the uh, the tub to be damaged that way. I'm told uh, Gary Paffett told me that it is repairable. It'll go back to the Lara, but obviously they had to change the survival cell overnight, which they did. And yeah, great performance by Jake Hughes. I mean, he was really 
strong in Mexico City last season, and yes. he uh, proved again that he's, you know, he's got a good, um, he's got a good affinity for that place, and and got a great seventh place. So uh, yeah, strong start. Uh, Sam Bird not so good for him. He had uh, the team made a wrong call in qualifying. He didn't make it. Uh, to his second quick lap, they they got the the countdown wrong, and then in the race they went with a sort of alternative strategy, keeping the second attack mode quite late, and it just went against him, and he lost track position, and ended up uh, down the field. So tough tough start for Sam, but uh, yeah, he'll be back. He's he's won at Deere before, and um, he was strong there last season with a podium. So I'm sure, I'm sure we'll I'm sure his his um his points collation will start uh, pretty soon. Not much else of note to talk about, but I guess the rebranded ERT team need a bit of a shout. Uh, the Formula E admins did the the usual thing that happens to Dan Tictum and picked up something that he said on the radio and broadcast it. But he he was right to have a bit of a huff, wasn't he, when he um, he came across a, a discarded piece of bodywork on his uh, qualifying lap. Yeah, he hit uh, Degrassi's. Um, I think it was his damper cover, wasn't it? If I remember rightly, uh, didn't I didn't actually. I was being suitably vague because I couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> yeah, so, something like that. Yeah, I, I don't think Dan was that happy. Um, I don't I, I, it, there's a realization actually um, that he's going to have a long season and he's going to have to fight for it and try and enjoy it. I'm not sure how much he can enjoy fighting for 14, 15, 16th positions when you're as competitive as he is. But yeah, it's going to be. I, I think. I wrote actually after the race that they have now reverted back to the the wooden spoon team, um, which is harsh, but the reality of the situation. And I think they've got probably bigger things to worry about in terms of their future and and what structure they might be for beyond this season. I think off track events are, yeah, I think they they need some investment and they need to get uh, their future outlined more than this season i think that what goes on the track obviously is important and, and keeps the morale up in the team but you know they uh off track they've got a lot of work to do i think to secure their future in formulary probably ought to mention degrassi's return to apt probably didn't uh get off to the best of starts um what what happened there that prevented him from making the start yeah, I mean, he had um, he had an off, I think, on the first lap or the second lap. Can't remember now. Very early in the race, he um, smoked the wall. He'd he'd, um, he'd gone off during his uh, his running qualifying and and uh, spoiled his qualifying lap and damaged the car. And then in the race, a, a similar incident, albeit not his fault, which was a uh, a brake by wire issue, I believe, which which caused him to go off. Um, and that was it. Um, no more miracles of, of Mexico. I think he's exhausted those over the years, hasn't he? So he was due. He was due a bad one, was <laughs> yeah. Lucas. But shame because it was the the hundredth race for Apt, and obviously Lucas's return to the team. So yeah, I mean, uh, the the disasters on the track apart, he, he looks a much more uh, relaxed and engaged individual as, than he did for most of last season. Albeit the irony, of course, is that he's in the same car. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Muller, Nico Muller showed some. Deep decent pace in free practice and and um uh, there'll I be mean, better days for that team won't there they'll, they'll, I think they'll so. pull a yeah. couple of results out yeah of them, i think they you know they, they, there was no there was no hint that they were going to really get into the points during the, the weekend i feel um but other other tracks will uh, suit them a bit better mm. and um yeah i again a bit like ert they're, they're going to be treading water a bit this year and just hoping for uh, others to fall off and for them to to try and get some points 
Now, conspicuously, there's one team we haven't mentioned, and that's Mahindra. So uh, let's hear what um, team boss Fred Breton said when Sam caught up with him uh, before we recorded the show. So thanks very much for joining us, Fred. Um, hope you got back from Mexico and the, the first race of the year well. So how are things at your end of the uh, of the pit lane? Hi, good morning, Sam. Um, I think on uh, our side, Mexico was uh, an interesting weekend um, with, with different feelings, uh, a bit of frustration after quali because we really thought that we, we were able to do much better than what we did. Uh, but uh, some satisfaction after the race where we saw that pace we were able to showcase was uh, definitely better than last year uh, on, on the same type of uh, track. So um, let's say good and, and less good things, but uh, in general, uh, on the on the path of progressing as, as, as planned, nothing really special. In terms of Nick's return, Fred, it was highly anticipated, obviously a, a former champion, of Formula E. Um, it was fair to say it was reasonably low-key, but I, I guess in some ways that was expected for Nick with, with such little running heading into the season. I think Nick, uh, y- y- you get what, what, he, what, he, what he, um, he proposes, and, and I mean, there is no, no, nothing uh, we, we were not expecting uh, on, on Nick's side, uh, to be honest. Uh, I think the first thing where we really appreciate is the spirit. Uh, is uh, really very, very close to uh, all the, the people in the team uh, trying to listen, trying to understand, trying to compensate the lack of uh, track time he, he didn't get last year uh, on, on the Gentry car. So he's, he's learning very quickly. Uh, and uh, definitely the, 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 the way he's behaving is really, really uh, appreciated in the team. Secondly, on the motivation side, is is uh, on on a very high level of motivation. He's expecting a lot from everyone, but he's also expecting a lot from himself. Uh, so that's definitely something where where we also like to 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 have that feeling in, into the team. On the pure pace, um, we, we didn't give them a good car. It's the same for Edo, to be honest, on on the quali and and on the free practices. So it's difficult to get any conclusion there. But the pace during the race was very satisfying there. Uh, he, he was definitely able to, to follow the pack. Uh, and, and, and for sure, he gets a lot of learnings after that first race. So we, we definitely uh, think that um, uh, he's, he's now 100% back uh, and, and fully committed. Uh, Riyadh uh, is a good track for him. He knows that track and likes that track. So we hope that he will be able able to raise uh, one step higher the level of the of, of, of his driving, but also of uh, our full team in Riyadh. So we are very happy on the way he's getting integrated and keeping the the, the pace and keeping the push uh, after Mexico. I, I think it's fair to say, Fred, that before the start of the season, before Mexico, that your expectations and objectives were, were in check. There was a reality of what you may be able to achieve this season. Has that changed at all um, after the first race in Mexico? Um, no, I think the, the the way we evaluated our capabilities is, is, is already quite ambitious because we would really like to be able to uh, close the gap between the middle of the pack, let's say. Uh, and and um, that, that was... Not the case in Quali again, but during the race, we were able to follow the Nissans, uh, McLarens, uh, which for us is already a good target uh, if, if we can make sure that we, we get that group. 
Um, so no, the, the plan is exactly the same, uh, learning, progressing, but we, we see some potential. That's the good thing. And, and let's say what we have now is that we have more confirmation than the plan we have is the one we can achieve. So there are, there are uh, no excuse or no um, reason why we, we shouldn't target that plan to, to happen. And we would really like to come back into the top eight to six, let's say. Uh, and, and that's where we need to be. And that's what we will push for. Oh, we saw a, a bit of a change team in Mexico, Fred. A lot of new faces in the team. Still, some that we that we know and recognise. But as, as a cohesive unit, as a squad, how pleased were you? The functionality, the operational element of the team, and, and how it went about racing in Mexico. Um, I, I, you're right. I think there are a lot of new faces, and it was probably the first time we had all those faces together. Uh, because uh, Valencia was uh, not the case. And on top, we know that Valencia was not an easy moment for us. Um, the, the good thing to come to Mexico and to get a team together is that the excitement you get through the event with so much people coming, uh, the crowd uh, really expecting our drivers to just sign an autograph and that a lot of enthusiasm. This is something which gets transferred to the team and people are all excited uh, to be part of that event. Um if we come back to exactly what was the spirit into the team, I would say first day discovering people, uh, in some cases, learning how to work together. But very quickly, things got into place and uh, we got a spirit uh, and um, an atmosphere into the team, which which was really um, my, my first satisfaction, I would say, for the weekend. We, we felt that people were happy to be together. We're happy to get challenged together because... Uh, having Jeremy joining the team, uh, I can tell you that the level of challenge and pressure is is getting a bit higher than than we were used to, and that's really good. So, and, but everybody was keen and happy to get that level of uh, of challenge and, and pressure. So, uh, v- very good atmosphere, very uh, strong motivation to make the team progress. It was a first, so definitely a lot of things to improve in the way we executed things. But already the level was very encouraging for the next races because we had no major issue, good strategy, good way of working. And and uh, the, the second part, which is more the, the, the spirit we feel when we come back to the factory and we, when we arrived and we had the debrief yesterday and, and Monday, is that the people were, were also happy, listening and working already on, on Riyadh. No, no one was was unhappy. So it, it it was a good satisfaction that no one got frustrated during the weekend, and everyone was coming back with a lot of energy. We we spoke in Mexico, Fred, but for our listeners on the podcast, just just sort of reiterate the part of your job, which I'm sure you find quite interesting and, and challenging at times, which is to to do what you've just said there, which is to manage the expectations, but also keep the morale going during a season when. I think realistically, it's going to be difficult for you to get big points at most of the races. How 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 is that sort of? How does that build the um, the, the sort of team ethos within Mahindra? Uh, a very good question. Um, I think first is 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 important that people don't over expect. Uh, but on the other side, we must not undermine uh, the, the level of expectation we want to have. So we have to find a balance between the two. Um, I, I totally agree with you that scoring big points this season will be particularly difficult. 
I think probably even more difficult than last year. We were lucky last year to score at the first one a lot of points, which helped us. Uh, and this season it will be more difficult. When we look at the differences between all the drivers and all the cars, it's it's so little that it, it will be difficult to compensate the small gaps we have. But on the other side, we will have opportunities. So what we need to make sure is that we have a level of execution which is at each event uh, as strong as possible so that any opportunity which may happen we will we will take it um and and that's the, the spirit why now we have in the team is more on nobody is really expecting us so let's make people get what they don't expect and let's make sure that we can get those few opportunities transformed into good points when it happens and for the rest of the the event let's make sure that we score as many times as possible, one, two points, and at the end of the season, it might be a good amount. So that's definitely the target, uh, not to lose any opportunity, and, and anytime we can score a few points, we will get them. And for the rest, let's learn, let's build a team, let's make sure that we capitalize, and, and that we also start to prepare season 11. But I don't want to give up on 10 yet. It's only one race. We were not far from the pace of the best. So let's make sure that we can reiterate that at each event. Yeah, and just looking forward to 2025, Fred, obviously it's um, it's a big year for, for everyone in terms of the Gen 3 Evo or the, the, the Gen 3, whatever you want to call it, the, the update on the on the present car. Um, where, where are things at? Just just give us a bit of an appreciation in terms of where you're at in the timeline of, of, of your package and, and then when you're going to be bench testing, when you're going to be when you're going to be looking at uh, a track testing that car later on this year. Yeah, I think that's one of the challenging part of the season is that we, we, we are not a big team yet and uh, and, and we need to, to, to do in parallel uh, two important tasks. One is to compete at the highest possible level we can. And on the other side, we need to keep the development of the evolution of the car for uh, 11 and 12, which for us will be two important seasons because we really expect to be able to uh, showcase a level of competitiveness which will go one step higher. Um, we know 11-12 will still be kind of a transition. We will probably have to wait for 13-14 uh, and, 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 and Gen 4 to see the real capabilities of, of Mindra to compete with the best. But definitely 11-12, we are working on getting ready uh, to have the car hitting the, the track uh, probably around May, uh, if possible a bit before, and, and make sure that we can have uh, this time a preparation which is much better than the one we had for Gen 3. We were late on Gen 3, uh, having not so much time to test and not so much time to be ready for, for start before starting the season with a proper development. So in that case, we will we anticipate as much as we can. But between two seasons like this, it's it's very tough. So yeah, target is eating track in, in May latest and then uh, be able to deploy a development program until homologation and then uh, be ready for the next season. And just bringing it back to what we saw last weekend, we've been debating on this podcast about the race, which I think it's fair to say was one of the one of the less exciting, one of the one of the less um, incident, uh, one of the more incident-free races in Formula E. Fred, um, thoughts on that? Because Mexico is such a great event in terms of the 
the crowd that they get there and the atmosphere. And it's it's a bit sad that they didn't get a race that, that lived up to that in a sense. I mean, I mean, have you got any thoughts on maybe what can be improved next season? You are, after all, um, your previous job was part and parcel of all that. Um, so it's quite interesting to get your opinions on, on maybe how they can they can change the circuit or the usable energy or a combination of the two for next season. What are your thoughts? Oh, um, first, I'm happy to be in my job now uh, and, and, and not to have to take care of that side. It's always a difficult compromise uh, on, on how to make a race exciting because you never know what will happen. And, and some events in the race might create it very exciting and, and some other might make it a little bit less exciting. I still believe Mexico is exciting because it, it's the start of the season. We all discover a lot from the capabilities of the teams and of the drivers. We, we see that the forces uh, are, are probably also closer than ever uh, in, in the championship, and that makes overtaking a bit more difficult. Um, when you look at Mexico from the past years, I'm not sure that the, the other races was the, were so different than the one we had this year. Uh, there is always one fact which had made the race very exciting. I remember the one where Lucas overtook Pascal on the on the finish line. If you look at the race before, it was not the most exciting one, but that last move made it very special. So maybe was missing that specific move uh, to make this one uh, a bit more special. But in general, as you said, it, it's so good to race in front of those fans, to, to see that crowd so excited and enthusiastic. That, uh, I would say... Mexico is, is for this already very exciting race. For the fans watching on, on TV, um, and, and that's maybe one of the things which is more difficult to transfer, all that level of enthusiasm. Uh, I can understand that it's frustrating when the race is a bit more uh, quiet and calm. Um, to improve, you, you always have to play with uh, the level of uh, energy management, how much energy you give to the, to the drivers and how much laps you decide to have uh, during the race. It's always a challenging decision uh, because you are based on simulation and you never know what reality will really be. Uh, but definitely that's one of the tools Formula E has and that's why I think uh, there is always a, a big chance to get excitement back. If one is boring, the next one can be great because you have that tool. And, um, and the second is uh, probably make sure that the track we use uh, understand the, 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 the new characteristic of the cars uh, but definitely Mexico is, has been a good track for years. So if one year it's a bit boring uh, or a bit more or a bit less entertaining than, than the previous years, it's not a drama. Let's make sure that the rest of the season is entertaining and, and let's make sure that the next Mexico is entertaining again and, and everything will be forgotten. So I'm not, I'm not so concerned on that side. I think uh, as long as we keep the, the people and the public coming uh, and, and have uh, that excitement on, on, on the event itself, it's nice, and to keep people on TV exciting and excited, we need uh, we need to make sure that uh, the number of laps and the energy given is is fine tuned in in a way to optimize the show. That's probably the easiest tool to to use to to make that happen. Excellent, thanks very much, Fred. Great for you to join us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Well, always good to uh, hear from someone like Fred. He's got a. a amazing experience across the championship on both sides of the fence Sam um, but it's going to be another uh, like say for some of the other teams a difficult and long season probably a same applies to them right I think so yeah I, I mean what I sense from just observing and speaking to Mahindra personnel 
um, including Nick De Vries as well, is that that the morale in the team is is much improved from from last season, and the direct everybody appears to now be sort of pointing in the right direction and focusing on that all important twenty twenty five when they they have their fresh package. They can only do so much with what they've got at the moment. I think. On occasion, in the early part of the season, Edo Mortara will be able to get some points with with that car. Nick De Vries had quite a low key return to Formula E. Um, he was he was at the back for most of that race, but did get some clear air running. Did learn a lot. You know, we know that he's had very few laps in that car compared to others after the fire in Valencia and then the, the compensation test been mostly uh, rained off so I've got to definitely give him time I, I wouldn't expect Nick to be doing anything um anything. that was way too early to make judgments on yeah that. I think let's see how things look around Monaco and, and after that but yeah I mean a, a happier team but but obviously they have to maintain that through this season. It's going to be a bit of a test of character on occasions, as as was Mexico. Right. Well, I think we've uh, picked all the meat off the bones that was the uh, Mexican Epri. But of course, wouldn't be one of our shows without uh, Sam dipping into his notebook to bring us some news. So far away, what uh, what's happening behind the uh, the bins in the uh, paddock? <laughs> well, the, just the two two bits of news really. There, there is going to be a manufacturers world championship next season, which uh, most of the manufacturers I spoke to said was well overdue. Um, it makes all kind of sense. We've got a drivers and team, so let's have a manufacturers one. Um, yeah, yeah, full full stop. I don't think there's any argument against not having how, one. How would that work? So, say for example, this weekend, would Jaguar have nominated? Jaguar as their scoring team, so where they would have picked up Cassidy points, or would they have picked up? Yeah, the points. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good point. question. It's one that I asked. Nobody's got a. They've not gone into the the, the, the nitty gritty <laughs> of it yet. So, I mean, it's a good point because it sort of leads on to our next news point, which is what if there are, um, you know, what if one manufacturer is supplying two privateer teams, which is entirely feasible mm. and possible next season because the the app team, which by the way, confirmed to confirmed that uh, they have split with Mahindra for next season. Obviously, they'll continue this season working with them, but they will have a new manufacturer partnership for 2025. Uh, the assumption, and it is an assumption, nothing has been formalised, as I understand it, that uh, that they will have a Porsche powertrain for next season. That seems to be the favourite and the preferred option for them. Whether it is known as a Porsche, whether it's white labelled as as Cupra, which is in the the VW oh, okay. family, of yeah, course, makes sense. Uh, that 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 could happen equally you know they may may go with another manufacturer but the the so strong suspicion is that they're very close to something with Porsche um and then obviously you've got six Porsches on the grid so mm. numerically then there has to be a fairness of how you toss up the points for the new manufacturers world championship so that'll be thrashed out in the coming months and I'm expecting a uh, a confirmation of of a manufacturers world championship later later this season and um nothing else or you can drop a little teaser or how are we playing this i'll tell you what let's drop a little teaser there's going to be a very significant announcement um on monday the 22nd of january we can't go into much more than that but it's quite exciting quite intriguing and i on say the whole, intriguing is definitely the word I yeah it's very intriguing. And, and on the whole i think um 
could be an interesting pointer as to where Formula E is going. Uh, constitutionally, commercially, sportingly, everythingly uh, for the future. So, yeah, watch out for that one. It'll be on the hyphen dot race on uh, Monday the 22nd. And uh, and I, you're going to be frequenting the occasion, uh, V2V. So you can... I believe so. I shall be indulging in uh, canapes and um, orange juice because I'm still doing dry January. So Very good. Yeah, very yeah. good. Dry January. What's that? Uh, I, I, it's 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 just a little bit of payback for uh, exceedingly wet December. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I blame you for all the uh, the global warming and climate crisis. Uh, then, yeah, if that's I'll, the case. I'll take I'll take a small amount of blame. Right. Well, on that sort of uh, mini cliffhanger, uh, you'll be uh, keen to look out for the news that Sam drops, uh, depending on when you listen to this. But it should be uh, early next week. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll be back post Daria, and uh, yeah, speak to you soon. Bye bye. Athletic.